stories are perfect. Sure. Is here. They are. <laughs> they are. There's a short version of that now. And I'm yeah, sad I, saw, I just I saw the short version yesterday, though, when I was yeah. a little girl. <laughs> right. Oh, Nicole. You don't get to see Wonder Woman and uh, Creed. You just got to see her. Tell me more yeah. about your girlhood, <laughs> please. So speaking of Nicole, I did. I have a. I have a uh, holds up of sorts this week. Ooh. I just watched Eyes Wide Shut two Ooh. nights ago, really? which I I swear I had never seen before. Shireen insists really? that I that I watched it. I don't. I only remember stills from it. I didn't remember most of what happened in that movie. I've seen that movie at least twice. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's not bad. It's bonkers. It doesn't really go anywhere. It's a little, and the ending is a little like, what? But uh, I don't know. It's got that gothic Kubrick stuff. It turns New York into kind of a fantasy world, which I like. Um, But no, I, I don't know. I I expected it to be bonkers, and then I thought it would devolve into surreal nonsense by the end. But it's a story that actually like goes places, but then doesn't really... I just feel like it wrapped up very well. But. I think it's a cultural touch point too. There's all yeah. sorts of yeah, references yeah. in <clears throat> in movie tropes that, to me, are a little not uh, mm-hmm. eyes wide shut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't have that much more to say about it, but I I'm glad I saw it again. I'm glad that I was. It's the kind of movie that I definitely would have had a uh, a priggish attitude towards yeah. twenty years ago, <laughs> yeah. to say the least. And that's when it came out, right? Was it two thousand yeah. or something? 99, I think. 99 was the best year in film. That's what they say. And I'm not going to tell them they're wrong. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, I saw a nice, um, I don't think it was 4K, but I saw a very nice transfer of this, and it looked like it could have been made this year, just in terms of mm-hmm. the color and the detail. and But not not looking at Tom and Nicole. And it was not 2021 Tom and Nicole. That's true. But anyway. Uh, sure. So great. Um, I think we saw stuff. I think we didn't see all the same stuff, but there's a few. I saw most. I didn't. I didn't see. Um, what's his name? Bronco Old Henry. Henry. <laughs> Old Henry. I didn't watch Coda. I still want to, but I didn't make it to. Oh that, well, so. we can save Coda for when. All right, I'll catch you... up with it see it you do not old henry's fine but it's certainly not gonna be in the uh, westerns for dan yeah, category. I won't, so i won't see that uh and it's got a big spoiler of, of who old henry is and i guess i won't spoil it because we were spoil everything and whatever but like it was not a satisfying spoiler i'll just mm-hmm. say that uh it was I, I wanted to like it because it's a little indie it has like 18 logos at the beginning including shout factory so like they mm-hmm. did whatever they could to get this movie made um and i like tim blake nelson a lot um and who's the other dude steven dorf is having a good time in this movie uh it's just a you know 90 minute indie western brutal and nasty spit on the floor blood everywhere kind of thing and but it, uh, it was it was fine until it just kind of petered out it wasn't it was okay that doesn't, so I, doesn't sound that great no it's not that great <laughs> I streamed that, and I know that we both streamed The Last Duel. Mm-hmm. And other than that, I saw The Spider-Man, which I, there's no point in talking about it, so we'll skip that. But what, what is this opening, though? It's the biggest opening oh, ever? I, I guess. In it, this economy? 
Right. Is that relative to something? Because how is I that feel, possible? I, right. I feel like every movie bombs. Right. And then we have Spider-Man that not only manages pre-pandemic numbers, it exceeds them. Yeah. And then it makes things like Nightmare Alley look like they don't exist. Right. Which wasn't ever going to open huge, but no. it's like a million dollars or something like Shape that. Shape like of Water was, was only three million. I mean, these, yeah. are, these are bigger names, frankly. Right. Yeah. Did you see Nightmare? Yeah. All right. So we'll we'll hit that. And I think if we go, to go all the way back, the oldest title we have to talk about is West Side Story. Old West Side Story. Old West. There's a Western that Dan can get behind. <laughs> West Side. West Side I like. <laughs> I'll talk about it. Yeah. And I'll tell you why, because I don't even need to pull up Wikipedia for it. (laughs) So West Side Story, it turns out it's based on a play. Mm -hmm. And that play was the source material for an earlier movie that won an Academy Award. Very famous property, this West Side Story. Mm -hmm. Of course, uh, written uh, by the music by Leonard Bernstein and the late great Steven Sondheim on lyrics and Steven Spielberg is at the helm of this. It wasn't this finished in 2019 or wasn't, I believe so. It was supposed to be a big 2020 opener. Yeah. Filming began in July. Yeah. And I think expectations, at least as far as I was concerned, were real low premiered at Lincoln Center. In, oh no, that was, I'm sorry. I thought it said in 2019. Continue. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, how appropriate. So I was not really excited about a new West Side Story existing. And then I got excited when everyone got real, uh, real positive about it. And as I was watching this new one, I was enjoying it. I thought that first act wise, hey, this is serviceable. This is a lot of fun. I like these actors. We've got Ansel Elgort as Tony. And I think he's just fine for all the shit he's getting. Mm-hmm. Um, Rachel, is it Ziegler or Zegler? I believe it's Zegler. Zegler, she is l- lovely young actress. Yes. And she does some solid work as Maria, I think, making her a real three dimensional character. Ariana DeBose as Anita and Mike Faced as Riff. I feel like Riff has never gotten this kind of dimension before. He pops. Yeah. Yeah. I liked him a lot. He's got like the mm-hmm. a real wimpy sexiness. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. It was really makes good. that character intriguing in a way where he's usually just a turd. Like, right, right. And I yeah. feel like Riff wasn't the uh, Oscar character before, and not like he will be this time. But I mm-hmm. feel like if there was a standout supporting actor, it would be it would be Mike Faced for sure. Um, and Rita Moreno is back mm-hmm. playing um a version of an adult character that I th- I thought had some poignancy. I liked having her there and. It, it couldn't work without her. I'll, I'll say mm-hmm. that. Um, it's the same story. Sa- sa- same stuff happens. Um, but I really liked how everything felt. Once we get past that first act, I felt like it did something really, really special. And I got really engaged and involved um, to the to the tragic. And uh, what do you think of West Side Story? Yeah, I thought it was kind of glorious. I thought yeah. it was a great movie. And... I didn't have high expectations. It sounds like creaky material that why would somebody dust it mm-hmm. off? Steven Spielberg wants to do a musical sounds potentially cringy. But then again, people have said forever that, you know, he's kind of got that visual flair. He's done good musical numbers in his films. 
He's definitely got the clever visual storytelling that could be applied to musical filmmaking, and I believe it is. I think he's done a phenomenal job. I think that the the writers and conceivers of this production deserve a lot of credit for the way that it's put together. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much credit Spielberg gets for that, but to go along with a very well-conceived reboot or remake, uh, he's done a great job putting it on film. I think in, in the way that only maybe he could in terms of the scale and the detail and just getting it, you know, done that way. Uh, I really had a great time watching it. Now, this is a very nitpicky technical thing, but one of the things that bothers me about movie musicals sometimes is the very obvious shift between dialogue recording tone and singing mm -hmm. tone yeah. when someone opens their mouth and suddenly the voice is coming from a studio. And I felt like this movie did a really nice job of smoothing that all out, feeling, I mean, it's it's a slick looking movie anyway, but feeling like, you know, the voices are always really coming from the characters and the singing feels diegetic. It feels like authentic. And the, I, again, I, I told you already, I didn't rewatch the original and I, I'm glad I did because I don't know that I needed to sit through this much West Side Story, but I do kind of wish, I've heard people talk about this song is recontextualized re resequenced this mm -hmm. character sings this or these lyrics were changed or whatever so I, i'd like a little more you know information on that i bet that's fascinating but i, I just had a great time watching it yeah i think that so tony kushner wrote the screenplay and changed a lot i mean the main mm -hmm. trajectory is the same but characters get development who never got developed i think that it was a brilliant move to put it in the context of a slum that's getting cleared for Lincoln Center. Mm -hmm. it, it puts it on the map for audiences today of understanding where it's actually taking place. And I've seen some criticism that oh, it looks like, you know, World War II <laughs> Europe. Mm -hmm. um, but I kind of like that exaggerated feeling um, that these folks are in a lost cause. They're living in a right. ruin. They're living in a place where there is no hope. And right. that's the context for this violence where they're going after one another and blaming each other for this thing that really isn't either of their faults. But there's no reason not to throw your whole um, life, blood and soul into it because you have no hope as a person. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think the despair of the young white straight man who just couldn't make it is well on display here, even from that first speech from the lieutenant talking about how most people have moved on and got a good job and have a house. And the only people who are left here are the losers. Mm -hmm. And and you're one of them. Yeah. And it it is a war movie of sorts. And it's also mm -hmm. a gothic story. It's like a romance story. So having it look so look like that, I think is appropriate. And like, if you were getting a stage revival, they would try to be as, you know, thematic and, mm -hmm. and whatever with the design so why not do that and spielberg's got the resources to do it and still have it look like a real world location so i'm down with all that uh, there was some concern just given what spielberg's movies have looked like for a decade or more mm -hmm. with janusz kaminski doing the, the you know the uh, cinematography that they are all kind of gray and, and desaturated and they have this kind of dusty look to them. Mm -hmm. um, and there are moments of that when it was appropriate in here, but it was also a, a very vibrant and colorful and alive when it needed to be also. So that was yeah. a relief. I loved in the apartment sequence, how they had that sheer fabric of all the colors 
mm-hmm. standing in for the stained glass from the original. Mm-hmm. It thought that was like really beautiful. I liked how they eliminated the dress shop as a location. They opened things up. They let Tony and Maria go somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and when many people have groused about uh, I feel pretty being in the context of being cleaning ladies at the mall. Mm-hmm. But I also kind of loved that she's trying to get into this strange, particularly white fantasy that feels more and more ghoulish as the song goes on because she's like stepping into these displays of places where she'll never be. And then immediately after they're out in the alley with those mannequins that are just like body parts thrown away when she discovers that her brother's been killed. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that there was just something so, so dark and nightmarish about that. I liked um, Rita Moreno's um, presence in the movie thinking about how she in a in a sense feels like grown up Anita though they're in the same universe mm-hmm. of feeling like the person who um was attacked by the jets at the end is now the one breaking them up and like nothing has changed and rather than it just ending she actually has a scold for them and i, I don't know it, it kind of felt very cyclical mm-hmm. in in a in a sad and touching way yeah yeah, it's very effective. They gave for, Chino for, something. They gave Chino something to do, right? Like that guilt that he was the one who let Tony mm-hmm. into the place for the rumble. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was a great thing. I I don't know, just what was very one note and functional characters. They all they all got to be a little more human. Yeah. Uh, and here's the Shireen report. She didn't see it. She doesn't go to the movies very often, mm-hmm. but she heard me playing some of the uh, album. And she loves the voices. She never likes the voices in movie musicals. Mm. She's always like, why did they cast, you know, uh, Emma Stone or whatever when they could have had a singer? And I liked Emma Stone in La La Land, but she, you know, Shereen's particular. And she loved mm-hmm. Elgort and Segler. And yeah. she just liked what she heard. She thought it sounded fresh, but also, you know, legit classic enough. Yeah, it doesn't sound auto-tuned to death. Um, mm-hmm. Zegler is a very nice voice. And... I understand that a lot of that was recorded live in the scene. It wasn't done in the Mm. studio. So, I mean, obviously I'm sure it got some help post-production, but the the fact is the reason why it feels more legitimate is because it was, and you have to have some real talent to sing that role, especially um, like a boy like that. And I have a love that was done live Mm -hmm. and that's a Mm -hmm. very difficult soprano piece. Yeah. And she, she just killed it. Um, I liked how they front-loaded all of the music, that most of the songs are front-loaded into Act 1. Mm-hmm. And really, there are only three songs in the second act mm-hmm. in this version. And I feel like that made the second act feel like it flew toward its conclusion. Yeah. I liked that Officer Krupke was early and that it was relocated to the police station. That made more sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, and here's another thing. The um, non-binary actor who played yeah. anybody's, mm-hmm. I thought that was really well handled and and touching that this person just wants to be seen for who they are and in the end they are. Yeah. yeah and it's, yeah. it's just more clear than how it would, would have been in the in the 60s version that right. who, who are the queer folks among you? We're the ones who know how to hide in the shadows. We can help you. I like the solidarity at the end when even though they or he is seen as being one of the boys, finally, um, they 
try to tell them they try to warn Anita to leave. Mm-hmm. They have that solidarity there, and I liked that there was solidarity among the Jets girls too. Yeah, that yeah. they were trying to help. It just made that whole scene um, feel more dangerous mm-hmm. as well as more realistic. Right. Yeah, those are all not easy things to handle, and they're all things that feel like they could have been. They're things that are inherent to the work, but they feel very 2021 in a very specific way and kind of helps the whole thing feel like it has a relevance, but also not a ham fisted one where you're like, well, okay, I get it. But it's everything feels very like deft, like it's very Mm -hmm. carefully handled and that's appreciated. Yeah, I think it's a surprise. I didn't expect it to be this good. It wasn't overwoked. I feel Mm -hmm. like my questions of, well, why would you remake that were Mm-hmm. answered with this new screenplay where it's true to the spirit of the original piece, but it's changed enough that mm-hmm. it definitely had something new to say and it was mm-hmm. worth making. It's a weird thing about the way movies are made is that, you know, when I was younger and more naive, if, if Steven Spielberg's name was on something, well, I think, well, it's just going to be excellent then. But, you know, you, you look, you, he's made enough movies that he's got a few turkeys. And a lot of times it's the script that is the, the problem in a Spielberg movie. And I just think about like if a different writer or a different pass or a different whatever, you know, or maybe the pandemic gave them time to work on things mm-hmm. or whatever, you don't get a movie this excellent. Like you, like so many movies feel half-baked and you just wonder what, it seems so hard to make something excellent, even if everybody involved is talented, that when, when it does come together and pop, it feels special, but it's like, how do you can't like just decide we're going to do an excellent remake of West Side Story. Any number of factors could have made this just a boring, you know, weird thing. But this is what we get. Mm-hmm, that's great. Hey. All right. Well, enough about that. Um, let's see. Uh, I guess I'll talk last duel. Mm-hmm. This is uh, Ridley Scott's other 2021 film uh the other the, the one we talked about last time being the uh house of gucci so uh you know ridley scott has always got several irons in the fire he's always got a every year he puts out a few movies sometimes just by the way things worked out in the last couple of years these were released very close to each other and gucci got a lot of attention for different reasons right. and this one is the one that kind of just eked by and and uh, it didn't disappear and it's get. I feel like it's getting its due now that it's on streaming and Blu-ray or whatever. But uh, I, I certainly prefer this out of these two movies. Uh, it's just straight. It, I can't believe sometimes that the same director can put out something so over the top, uh, such a misfire. And then uh, this, which I don't know if I'd call it as excellent as something like West Side Story, but I thought it was a fascinating uh watch it is i think it's very loosely based on um a, a is it a true story or is it just a novel i don't actually know it's a book about a trial in it's called a, a, the last duel a true a true story of trial by combat in medieval france yeah i do think that i mean who knows when we're talking about medieval times right. um how much is truth and how much is legend but i i think it is purported to yeah. be based on real events so this is adapted from that book in a screenplay by Nicole Holof Sanner. I believe I don't believe I've pronounced that correctly. And Ben Affleck and Matt Damon sharing credit on a script. 
heard of them. For the first time since they won the Oscar for their other script. Crazy. Uh, I don't know what drew them to this as another, you know, the next project. Perhaps uh, Holof Center was the, uh, you know, the main impetus of the whole thing. I don't know. Uh, and then it comes to Ridley Scott and it's made into a very uh, lavish film. It stars Damon uh, and Affleck and also, uh, is it, gosh, I'm sorry, Jody Comer mm-hmm. and uh, Adam Driver. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting used to this uh, using Wikipedia. Here we go. Okay. So Matt Damon is Sir Jean de Carouge, who is a famous military man a warrior and a sort of like third rate lord i don't know how what i don't understand quite how all the politics work but he's not a big shot he is friends with jacques legree played by adam driver who is a bit of a ladies man and a little more of a uh, prominent man in their uh, in the hierarchy of their society because he is a favorite friend of Ben Affleck's Count Pierre d'Alençon. Um, so he has the ear of an influential count. He's like the richest dude in their zone. He is in with the king, I guess, who is played by, who is that guy? Uh, Alex Lothar, who I recognize. Mm-hmm. He's a very, he's a, one of these like teenage kings right <laughs> who has like very uh, one, of those one of those guys <laughs> you get them in game of thrones or yeah. in historical movies <laughs> once in a while the giddy teenage king who can't believe that he gets to make people kill each other and whatever so uh in this world of constant war uh what war is it <laughs> it's france it's medieval uh the crusades happen i think concurrently or soon after because we're told in a title card that one of the characters dies in the crusades but uh it's the caroline war and it seems to be french on french action but also scotland is involved so i don't know i don't know european stuff the history doesn't matter none of it matters because this movie is about a duel for the honor of a lady told from three perspectives we get first the matt damon perspective on this story uh, where his wife claims to have been assaulted in her own bedroom by Adam Driver's uh, Legree. We then see Legree's take on the events. And then, of course, we get uh, her account as the final act of the film leading up to this duel. It is a multiple perspective story that I think is a little bit long and a little perhaps too repetitive and a little too detailed, but I thought it was effective and I liked it and I like how it comes together. I like what it has to say about just what a miserable prospect uh, being a female in most of human history uh, has been without feeling like a preachy Me Too movie. It feels like just a... uh, an honest movie in that way, uh, I think. And I'm not doing it justice. I like the performances. I like Comer a lot. She's uh, Comer, Comer. I don't know how to say her name. Um, these guys are all like famous American dudes. So it's a little funny seeing them be French, Affleck, Damon, and Driver. But I think that they all pull it off for the kind of movie this needs to be. And I thought this worked 
and I'm glad I saw it if I didn't love it. How do you feel, Dan? I was in the right headspace for this, and I settled into it. Um, I usually can't have attention span for a movie this long, especially for a time period I'm not really into. But I enjoyed it, and it made me think, like, oh, maybe I would like to live in medieval France, <laughs> like before the earth was mm -hmm. destroyed, and maybe if I could be in a, I don't know, a monastery or, I don't know. I mean, it probably would have been bad too, but I was into this. Um, I thought that the three perspectives didn't take too long. I liked the differences between them even though sometimes it was subtle and nuanced. And there are people saying how Adam Driver and Jodie Comer's perspectives were almost the exact same. And I thought, did we watch the same movie? Mm -hmm. Like, uh, to me, they, they were market, no. markedly different. Yeah. I liked the, the little, and they're not Easter eggs, but just like little funny bits of how the three remember something differently. Right. Like when they try to make amends by attending that social event and there's some profound thing said and mm -hmm. Matt Damon envisions he said it, Adam Driver right. envisions he said it, and right. then like she envisions it was neither of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Or <laughs> when know. she introduced to Legree and in Damon's version, she gives him a she awkwardly gives him a kiss out of obligation. In Driver's version, she secretly likes it, and in her version, she's kind of repulsed. Right. Yeah. Right. It, it's, and I feel like so much of the difference, since since so much of the main storyline has to do with what the men see and what the men feel, mm -hmm. um, the differences, the main differences, um, are from Jodie Comer's performance. I thought. Yeah. Yeah. And and she sure. and she did a great job with it. I thought that the uh, production design looked great. I love the cinematography on this. Um, I don't love when th movies start at the climax as if their own story isn't interesting enough to just start where it starts mm -hmm. um, because then it's tiresome. You have to then start yeah, over right, and then you right. got to watch the same stuff again and, and all that stuff. Mm. So that, that that's like my just a critique of, you know, not liking the way things are. Mm -hmm. but uh i really i i went for it and i and i was glad i watched it yeah i think people should if you know if you're up for a long period film oh with, that sounds uh, great yeah with bloody violence uh, and long depictions of sexual assault period give film. it a try right <laughs> give it a try this holiday break what did you what did you think about the controversy around it where i mean this is just film twitter and woke twitter it's mm -hmm. it's not actual moviegoers clearly because nobody went to it but people feel like you shouldn't i guess depict a rape at all in a movie even mm -hmm. if it's part of a story mm -hmm. and the fact that it had to be depicted three times to you know up in first person mm -hmm. i i sort of felt like it was a, a vindication of yeah her experience and there really was no other way since right. we're doing it from three viewpoints, but to see it twice between the two people who experienced it. Mm -hmm. Well, as a man, uh, mm. as a, you know, white, straight Christian man, uh, I, this is my off the cuff opinion. I think, I think it de a case could definitely be made that rape has been used in the past as like a cheap way 
to you know to give someone revenge motivation mm -hmm. not and oftentimes not even the victim like someone you know some man gives him the revenge motivation or whatever and so it's been a cheap uh illicit thing to put in a movie but when the story is about that especially in a case like this where it's about perspectives and it's about the realities and i don't think this was a particular i mean it was unpleasant and I, but I think it it was unpleasant in the right way in terms of the the suffering, but also in the just the asinine experience of of Legree in that situation. Mm -hmm. I th I think it's important to the story. Now I understand that people a lot of people might not want to be, you know, they might want to know ahead of time that that's going to be something they're going to see. I guess I would understand that. How do you announce but, something like that? Yeah, I don't know. You put a trigger warning at the beginning of a movie. Now I don't know. Yeah, it seems like the people who wouldn't want to see it didn't. Yeah. And really no one wanted to see it is the bottom line because right. nobody went to see it. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't find it egregious and I wasn't like, well, that wasn't necessary because it actually kind of felt necessary. Now you could ask, is the film necessary? But I think it's if you can entirely, tell the story. I mean, that's the whole story that they're telling. Right, right. And that's bonkers. I actually had not heard anyone say that that Legree's and her accounts were virtually the same. They could that, not yeah, be. Yeah, that discourse you have was to going be, on about a week ago, and I was ugh. like, what? You have to be tuned into actually watching someone's performance. I think I agree mm -hmm. with that, but it's clear as day in both of them, right? Like, his version made him into this puppy dog and her into kind of a reluctant proper lady who couldn't admit her true feelings, and hers had him as this absolute monster mm -hmm. and her as a straight up victim i don't think it, it was at all nebulous or yeah yeah know. like even those little details like the shoes mm -hmm. right where what a difference it is to remove your own shoes as you run up to your bedroom expecting to be undressed soon mm -hmm. and to lose them on the way up as you're being chased Mm -hmm. that that's a that's a completely different thing both yeah. leading to shoes on the steps and of course the movie luxuriates in the awful science and legal logic of the day yeah. yes in the in the fallout after the event not to make light of awful things but it's almost humorous the things that they believe about how sex works and what constitutes what i mean and realizing that some of those viewpoints are still held today. That <laughs> in some way we can laugh because what is this, 700 years ago? Right. It's just so far removed from our experience. And at the same time, not. Yeah. Which is bonkers. All right. Um, well, what's left? Nightmare Alley mm -hmm. and that's it? All right. Do you uh, want me to do you want me to do Nightmare Alley or are you looking forward to doing Nightmare Alley? Well, I wouldn't mind doing it, although I'm I'm always ineloquent when I no, attempt you, to you do it. Describe you do it. All right. All right. So here uh, I was excited for Nightmare Alley because this is the uh, first film by director Guillermo del Toro since his Oscar win. Uh what, four or five years ago now for Shape of Water? And um this is a remake of a 1947 film of the same name, which I've not seen, which is itself based on the 1946 novel by William Lindsay Gresham. 
This film stars Bradley Cooper, Kate Blanchett, Tony Collette, Willem Dafoe, Richard Jenkins, Rooney Mara, Ron Perlman, Mary Steenburgen, David Strathairn. What a cast. Mm-hmm. In a full-on straight-ahead noir, this is definitely a what would be called a blank check movie. This is clout earned from a Best Picture Oscar. Um, and at Best Director Oscar? Did he win mm-hmm. that as well? I believe he, he sure did. did. And this is the kind of thing you make when that happens. Mm-hmm. And you want to make a an intensely uh, nightmarish, carnival-based noir movie uh, about a character uh, played by Bradley Cooper. I'm just going to pull up this cast. I can't find the cast as quickly as I would like to on Wikipedia. There it is. All right. So Bradley right Cooper plays plot. Stanton Stan Carlyle. He is your noir main character. I don't even know if he gets to the point of anti-hero, but he's the guy at the front of this story. He's got a confusing but very dark past. We meet him in media res. Uh, Something awful has happened, and he runs off and joins a carnival. This is where he meets Kate, uh, not Kate Blanchett, sorry, Tony Collette as Xena, and uh, Willem Dafoe as Clem, um, who I guess runs the carnival and, and hires him to do kind of odd jobs. He eventually, because of his charisma, works his way up. He becomes friendly with Rooney Mara's character, Molly Cahill, and uh, Ron Perlman, the strongman Bruno, who is kind of uh, her watching over her, like an uncle kind of a figure. And uh, David Strathairn is Pete. Uh, and he and Xena have an act. They're, they're uh, I guess, the mentalists or mind readers. Um, there is also a snake man and the world's smallest man and a freak show and all kinds of things. And, and Del Toro has lots of fun with all of this stuff. Uh, I really like how this carnival is depicted. I think there's kind of a movie carnival where nothing really has to make sense or seem realistic. Uh, and I think this movie... I'll say a lot about how this movie has fun with outrageous imagery, but remains strangely, almost surprisingly grounded, which is one of the things I was surprised Mm -hmm. about by this movie. Um, But I'll say a little more about that as I reflect. Let's rush through the plot a little bit. So Stan Carlyle, who goes from being a bum, uh, helping them pitch the tents for the carnival, works his way up to being a part of the mentalist act. And then he runs away with Rooney Mara's Molly. They begin their own act. They begin playing... Uh, sold-out shows of uh, performing mentalism for wealthy patrons. And uh, this is where he meets Kate Blanchett, who is a psychologist who seems very skeptical of his abilities. Um, He finds himself, with her help, once he uh, impresses her with some mind reading, he finds himself entangled in a lot of intrigue with some very rich and powerful people. He betrays his own uh, ethic of not getting personally involved in, outside of the show and believing his own nonsense uh, and believing that he really is uh, has mental powers or is in touch with uh, the beyond. And it leads him down a nightmarish, noirish uh, third act that uh, is very Del Toro. But here's the thing, Dan. I, I So I enjoyed this movie. It is very long. I wish that it was a little shorter. But I really thought that it was gorgeous. I thought that it was delicious to look at. I felt like having the the cast he wanted and having the uh, filmmaking tools at his disposal, Del Toro did a really fantastic job making this um, 
movie. But what surprised me the most is that this represents something of a major departure for him because this is his first movie where not only does the supernatural not ooze into reality at mm-hmm. some point in the story, it is like inherent to the perspective of this story that the supernatural is not real, or at least not in, not in any way relating to Stanton, Stan Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, the story doesn't work unless he's full of shit. And that's kind of, it's like the chickens coming home to roost. I thoroughly expected not having seen the original and just seeing trailers and what the movie was like. I thought that it was going to get into night, actual, you know, nightmares or, or supernatural creatures and that he was going to end up kind of, I, I, I kind of, even when I detected where the story was going, I thought he was going to end up back in the carnival and I was kind of right, but I thought there was going to be a lot more like visual fun. And it ends up being a very straightforward noir that is more about people and their money and their guns and things like that than it is about the supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, I thought it was very good. And I think um, wrapping up my thoughts, I think another reason it works, apart from Del Toro clearly loving this story and loving this world and wanting to play around in it, is that I think what so many noir, modern noirs, people trying to make noir now, the biggest mistake they make is casting a bland like charisma vacuum in the lead because they think he's supposed to just be some kind of empty man or something mm-hmm. or every man. And I think Bradley Cooper is great. I think yep. that Bradley Cooper makes this movie work. He's uh, charismatic enough that you believe he's doing what he's doing. He's got the darkness. He's got the charm. I just think that he carries this movie that could have been kind of a mess. It could have been uh just like a director's uh, over-the-top indulgence. But I I think that he helps this movie, along with other great cast members. Rooney Mara is great. uh, Colette and Defoe are great. But so I think this works because of the actors, and I just happen to be delighted at the kind of world that it is. And I I like when Del Toro gets to do stuff like this. What would you think, Dan? Yeah, so I loved this movie. All right. I really, really liked it. To me, it's right right there at the tops for the year. Wow. I went in knowing really nothing, and I didn't wish it were shorter. <laughs> That's the first time ever. Wow. Yeah. I, I enjoyed every second. I loved the visuals. The cast, like you say, is dynamite, and they're all very necessary to make things work. I think this is a great ensemble because – if you lose your way with any of the character story strings, it can get boring really fast. Yeah. Um, I had heard some people talking about it and they didn't really give much by way of plot, but they were saying, well, it's really in three parts and we really liked the first part and we really liked the third part, but boy, was the second part a drag, um, hmm. the part with Kate Blanchett. And I, couldn't disagree more. <laughs> I thought that that was very dramatic and intriguing because she's got an angle of her own that isn't immediately apparent besides everything right. just looking cool. And I, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, you know, project onto it a parable about alcoholism because this is the world that like all recovery literature was written in. So all of that stuff envisions the 1930s, 1940s side of the highway hobo hmm. um, who 
has such huge aspirations for himself, but can never attain them because he always shoots too far, always flies too close to the sun and always ends up in the exact same situation. Mm-hmm. And they set that up beautifully for him because he always thinks he's better than the problems he's about to have. He's, he's better than someone who has a drink, you know, which Blanchett points out. Um, and he, and he never wants to do that. And then when he finally drinks with her is mm-hmm. when he shoots too far and he does, he sets this scene in motion that is unthinkable that it would work, especially with someone um, with so many means as um, Richard Jenkins character. Right. And who's so um, cynical as he is. Of course that wasn't going to work. And of course it was going to lead to death and violence mm-hmm. and heartbreak. And it, and it does. Um, and then even the people who went along with his lie, um, things start to fall apart for them too. And you realize that there was nothing at the center of this. And he just ends up being the drunken bum he was always trying to avoid being. And his problem is he can't be honest. You notice all of his friends at the carnival, they're all honest. Like they're running Mm -hmm. a con, but when push comes to shove, they tell people the truth about Mm -hmm. what they did. But he never does. And he is living in this fantasy world that is his own, you know, alley to the nightmare. I don't know yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if that's all intended or not. But but I read that into that and I thought it was a really apt um, mm-hmm. understanding of that world. Great ending, too. Yes. Yes. Perfect ending. Yes. Uh, movies like this don't usually get lead performances this good, much less casts this good. Mm hmm. So and I don't know if if it being in the trappings of horror and noir that it will kind of downgrade it. I don't know. I feel like Oscars are a little more slippery with that kind of stuff now. But uh, as much as anything I saw this year, there's so much here that deserves accolades. Yeah, it'll depend if the actors like it, um, which I, to me they would because they love a great ensemble. And could you imagine this being better acted by a different group yeah. of actors? I can't. No. I think it's everything you'd want it to be. And Bradley Cooper is great. It's a super Mm -hmm. competitive year for best actor, but to me in a less competitive year, he'd easily be in the top five. Mm. Look at that. See that don't rush to do your top 10, Dan. That's what I've been telling you. I know. And then I, I'm finally, I still got to wait two weeks, but I get to see, no, I guess it's next week. Now, uh, licorice pizza is finally Uh going to be around here. I'm seeing Matrix 4 this week, okay. which uh, I do not have expectations for, but we'll see. I like the original, but the sequels didn't really do much for me. Um, but yeah, Licorice Pizza, I mean, I don't know if there's a more an- anticipated movie. This one was high on my list, but... Uh, yeah, we'll I need see. to see Licorice Pizza. I need to see uh, Don't Look Up. Yeah, yeah. You know, people are uh, very negative on that. There's a few people who seem to like it. I, people hated Vice. I liked Vice. At the time, I liked, I liked Vice. McKay. Yeah, I, I like whatever he does. I don't think it's like the best movie that I'm really going to take with me as a favorite. No. But I just, as a treatment of that material, I think a lot of people just were like, why am I watching a movie about Dick Cheney? And I get that. Yeah. But it was it was good. And I just like his attitude. I don't know. I like the, 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 the vibe of McKay's movies. So I'm looking forward to this one. Is this one streaming? Is it out yet? 
Um, it's like I a think, Netflix or Hulu, yeah, it's right? it's um coming out soon. Same with Lost okay. Daughter. I want to wa- I want to watch oh, that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's coming out soon. That's another Netflix. And uh, being the Ricardos, I need to see. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll sit that through Cyrano. Like homework. Yeah, I feel yeah. like be- I don't know. I'm interested in being the Ricardos because the reactions have been so mixed mm-hmm. that I'm interested. And Cyrano sounds terrible, but yeah, I do kind of want to see it just because. Yeah. All right. But that's going to do it for now, Dan. Mm-hmm. Thanks for, thank you for tuning in. <laughs> Somebody's got to do it. You bet. And uh, I guess I won't speak to you until after the holiday. So have a wonderful Christmas. A shiny that's new year. true. I mean, I dare say we could talk about a top 10 mm-hmm. on, what is it, the third? Yeah. Then, sure. then I, I think I might that, be right? ready with my list. Okay. Let's do that. All right. All right, uh, have a great one, and we'll be in touch, of course. And let me get these recordings. Bye, everybody.